Hello and welcome to Speaking Spirit, where we talk about all things spiritual. Your host, John Moore, is a shamanic practitioner and spiritual teacher. And now, here's John. Good morning, everybody. Well, I say good morning. I always do that. I always say good morning, even though I have no idea what time of day it is when you're listening to this, but it's morning for me. I always record these in the morning. Um, I've had my coffee and I'm ready to go. I hope you're all doing well. And I'm very excited today because I have a guest and it's been a while since I've had a guest and um, I was on her podcast recently. And so I'm forcing her to come on my podcast. It's, um, you know, I'm not above guilting people into coming onto my podcast, but it is, um, it's my pleasure to introduce you to Heather Webster of Heather Webster Wellness. Um, And Heather does a bunch of interesting stuff, stuff that I'm completely fascinated with. So um, I'm going to let her introduce herself uh, better than I can, I'm sure, and talk a little bit about what you do. Good morning, Heather. Good morning. Wow. Yes, it was definitely not a force. I'm so excited to be here. (laughs) Um, I'm excited because I get to have yours air next week. Um, So it's very exciting. Um, And no, I'm just so excited to be here, to be honest. And when I woke up this morning, I was just like, oh, I get to be honest. I get to see John (laughs) and talk to him because we have so much in common and things that we're interested in. And the conversation just flows, which is fantastic. And so a little bit about me. I am a educator at heart. Um, I was raised as I wanted to be a teacher from the time I remember stating it in second grade. Um, when I was younger, I had a classroom of imaginary friends. Gotcha. That I would teach. And it was just super fun. And so I was doing that for a really long time. And just recently, started to do a deeper dive into kind of doing some more healing for myself. And when I was an educator back in the day, I had decided that I wanted to go back to school for nutrition. Mm -hmm. And so I did go get my master's in nutrition and physiology. And while I was there, I was diving into the fact that like a lot of what they teach you in traditional school is very much about what they want you to know. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> Around nutrition and exercise and things like that. And a lot of it's based off of kind of who's in charge um, right. at the higher level. Right. And so as I was when I was finishing up my thesis, I actually went to South Korea for a year and was teaching English to some preschoolers and high and older grades. And as I was there, I was really starting to realize that I still loved teaching. Mm -hmm. And I did not want to go into like a research field, which is kind of like if you're in nutrition, you're either going the dietitian route or you're going the route of research. And um, that was not my thing. And so I started hiking again and getting back out in nature while I was in South Korea and finding that love for being outdoors again. I've Mm -hmm. always been an outdoorsy person. And thinking back now, Back in the day, right, when I was having a tough time as a child, I would immediately go outside and go catch some frogs or snakes or like mm-hmm. and, and connect with them, but or climb a tree. Climbing trees are kind of my memory. And it's kind of funny. Earlier this morning, I was outside and I was thinking, huh, 
Because I, I was thinking about you and being on your podcast and altars and things like that, what we've talked about in the past. I was like, I need to make an altar to my childhood. Oh, that's a that's a fantastic idea. I love that idea. Because what I'm trying to do right now is really connect back because that's mm-hmm. where joy and play comes in. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, I can go through some pictures. And it all came up like yesterday. I was posting a picture of my childhood. Mm-hmm. And so once I moved to New Hampshire is when I really started doing a lot of my healing. Um, I had been in Rhode Island for a while. And um, when I was moved to New Hampshire, I realized how disconnected I had become. Mm-hmm. Right. And and I had actually gotten to the point where I felt quite depressed and didn't even know it, but I had no interest in going out. I didn't really care to see people. I was just like happy in my place, but that's not me. And I wasn't really happy. And so I started to get dive into more meditation. I went back to school for health coaching. I did mindful outdoor guide training and really started to look into how can I reconnect with myself so I can connect with others Yeah. And a lot around self-confidence, self-love and self like self-care, but also looking at how I was talking to myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good that's a very good thing to look at. I have lots of clients that I talk to um, and that is a, a, a major thing. That is a major issue for them. We talk to ourselves in ways frequently that we would never accept from anybody else. And um, yeah, and and we just think that's normal and it's okay. And um, it can be really destructive and and unhealthy for sure. Yeah. One of the things I talk to clients about, because what I've done is said, okay, now all this healing I've done, how can I help women? And so my main focus is helping women. I'll help anybody, but because I just love helping people, but I mainly focus on women because I think they they have that men have the self-talk too, but I don't understand it as much because I'm not I don't identify as a man. So for me, I I like to focus on knowing where I can identify so I can make sure I support um, the, the people that identify as women and. I mean, we have like 60 to 70 th- thoughts a day, right? And like 90, 80, 80, to, no, more than that, 90 to 95, maybe even 98% are like these negative talks that we mm. started when we were younger. And so you have yeah. to reprogram their habits. Right, right. It's a, it's a loop. And um, yeah, you're absolutely right. It's, um, um, you know, it's interesting that uh, somebody, uh, I do a lot of work with belief, right? Like what people believe and what people hold to be true. And pretty recently, I don't know, in the past few months, I heard um, a really good definition of belief. And um, somebody said that beliefs are um, habits of thought, right? And so if we have this habit of thinking negative things about ourself, um, that really gets to our core belief. And we will always act in accordance with what we believe, right? Mm-hmm. Um, whether we're conscious of it or not, if we haven't, because we have unconscious beliefs too. Um, if I'm putting myself down and saying, oh, I can't do this, I can't do this, um, you know, there's, it's going to become a bit of a self fulfilling prophecy, right? Um, so I love that. I love that you focus a lot on self-talk. It is a big, uh, is a big thing that I wind up working with clients on 
pretty significantly um, something I work on with myself. We all have that. Um, so to clue you in on what happens in the male head, a lot of my thoughts are about what I'm going to eat next. Um, <laughs> um, it just pops in like, oh, I just had breakfast. What's for lunch? Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I think it's it's also true for men, but it can be a little insidious because um, – you know, in our culture anyway, and, and it, it's changing, and, and I see our culture changing in positive ways with my children, especially being very open, and, um, you know, and, and you know, the, I, I went through the whole boys don't cry era, right, and the whole um, men, uh, you know, there's only two emotions that are acceptable for men, you know, laughter and anger, that's it. Right. Anything else is uh, completely unacceptable. So we cram a lot of stuff. And I think that most men, and I include myself in that bundle, you know, at least earlier in my life, are unaware of what's going on in our heads um, frequently. You know, it's really, really unconscious because we can't, we can't look at that stuff. It's too painful. And we can't show up as emasculine, right? Like that's a bad thing to be not a, you know. And again, this I think this is changing. I see that changing in our culture. Um, you know, in my girls' school, for example, my girls are in high school, and there are a lot of transgender children. There are a lot of children mm-hmm. who can identify um, in whatever they, way they want, and I don't hear about bullying happy, happening or anything like that. Um that would have been very risky um, behavior when I was in high school for somebody to identify as a gender that they weren't born, you know, that they weren't born into um, or to, or to be gay or to anything, you know, anything that deviated from the norm was risky. And I mean, physically risky. I mean, you know, it was, it was Mm -hmm. dangerous. Um, So I'm happy to see some of these changes and I'm happy I'm happy that you're working uh, with women or whoever um, to, you know, on this on this stuff because um, culture is this oppressing force sometimes, right? Yeah, and I, I like to talk to the women about how their stories, right, and and debunking them, right. Mm-hmm. So if you have the story of I am, I always fail, right. That's a huge story for women. Is I'm I'm a failure. I fail at everything we talk about, okay, that could be a story. So let's see if it is, let's talk about the things that you've been successful at. Mm-hmm. And there's many times I have felt like when I was going through that time, especially I was everything about what I was going through at that time was about me feeling like a failure. Um, mm-hmm. I had had foster children that when I moved, uh, I had to, they, well, I didn't have, when I moved, they went to a new foster family that was going to adopt them. So it was a great move for them because I was there to foster. But in my head, I was like, oh my gosh, you failed. Yeah, Even though but I didn't, right? You totally but in didn't. my head, and it all stems, I think too, from when I was a, a child, but then the biggest failure that I had in my head was my divorce mm-hmm. of how could you not make this happen? How could you not make this? And so everything since then, if I didn't succeed, I felt like a failure. And so sitting down with my clients, but also sitting down with myself when I went through this, going through all the things I've been successful at. Yeah. Um, and that is, and then talking and then coming up with new phrases to say when you say that thing of like, oh, I, I fail at everything. Oh, wait, no, I don't. I've done this and this and this to kind of like reframe it. 
but it can be very tricky at first to catch yourself because a lot of it's happening just as you're yeah. going through your day. Yeah, yeah, and um, I'm sure I'm sure that one of the things that you you probably run into and that I that I've run into with a lot of clients is the word can't. And I say this is a four letter word. I can't, I can't do this or I can't do that. Um, and like, I will, I will attack that belief, um, like a rabid dog and go after it and say, okay, let's, let's stop and let's look at that. And what does that mean? I can't, like, I'm physically not able to, I'm emotionally not able to, I'm, you know, and, and what's your belief or around that. Where does that idea, where does that belief come from that I can't, um, you know, and it really is a four letter word. Yeah, sure. There are things that maybe I can't do in exactly the way that I want to, you know, I probably can't win the Powerball, um, but I also don't buy Powerball tickets. So, you know, that that's very unlikely to happen. Um, but I always say in an infinite and expanding universe, anything is possible, technically. Right. Statistically, it's possible, um, as improbable as it may be. But very frequently, can't is a product of, well, I always, my parents always told me I wasn't good at this, or when I tried this before, I wasn't perfect at it, and so I quit. And, um, you know, I taught I taught martial arts for about little over 20 years, I think, a very long time. And um, most people quit. Most people who start martial arts or anything like that quit. Um, and I would say that the number one reason that people quit is that they're not a black belt on the first day. Mm-hmm. They're not, they're not, oh, you know, I did this and I'm not perfect at it. And I'm like, I have been practicing that technique for 20 years and I am not perfect at it yet. So it's, you know, this whole, I have to be perfect thing. Um, I can't ever quote unquote fail at anything or, you know, whatever, but we like, how much do we learn from our failure? How much do we, you know, I went through a really, um, you know, even after my divorce, I went through a really uh, terrifying, terrific, horrific, something. I'm trying to work out a word here. All of the above. I went through through a very similar thing. And, um, you know, I wound up in an extremely unhealthy relationship with somebody who was abusive in every possible way. And um, gosh, I was like, well, I guess I'm just never going to be in a relationship again. Like, that's just, that's just what's going to happen. And, um, you know, I've failed clearly at the, my past two relationships. One of them was 20 years long and I failed at that. And, um, but you know, ultimately I looked at it as, uh, okay, what am I learning from this? What am I learning mm-hmm. about my boundaries? What am I learning about? And, you know, I did a whole thing recently about karmic relationships where you get into relationships that reproduce some of your old trauma so that you can heal from it. Um, not something I recommend to do consciously, um, I'm going to purposefully date an abuser so that I can, um, you know, work through that abuse. Like, don't, but recognize right. that pattern in yourself. Recognize that that is what's going on, and um, you know, we're drawn. We're sometimes we're drawn to drawn to that so we can we can heal from it. 
Yeah, I I love that it's been coming up so much recently, kind of what you're talking about. And just yesterday, I was listening to another podcast, and they were talking about how you can't succeed without failing, right? So when we were learning to walk, we Mm -hmm. fell many times. So like every single time, even the things that are innate and things that we're supposed to learn and that we are it's in our genes to be able to do, it takes practice. Right. Yeah. And that's why I love like that meditation, yoga, like all those things call it practice right? because it takes time. And going back to the other piece where you were talking about that connection between your thoughts and your beliefs, a lot of that comes into like when you're talking about manifestation as well, which is something that I'm fascinated with. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people are talking about, oh, it's so woo woo. But I mean, no matter what you look, whoever you look at, right? People that pray, pre- right? That there's like people are manifesting every day. It just depends on how you manifest. So in this moment, I'm manifesting something for my future. Right. And I think, but in, if your thoughts are on the negative, this is something that I love talking about with my clients a lot about, because if they're stuck in that negative, your body wants to succeed or your soul wants to succeed at what you're thinking. And it becomes your belief and all of that. Mm -hmm. And so if you're thinking, I'm always going to fail, you're always going to fail. Um, obviously, it's much bigger than that. But like, yeah. if you if you break it down to okay, I feel that this could be possible, and really ingrain it and start living your life that that is happening for you, and kind of letting go of the expectation of how it's going to happen. Yes, things are going to come for you, and then that like idea of like I'm always failing at relationships, right? So I'm single um, and. And I've been part of it's like, oh, my life is so crazy right now. How can I find somebody? But if I switch it to, no, it's possible. There's somebody out there that has yeah. the right schedule and everything else. Mm-hmm. Then I'm going to start living that way. I'm also going to feel more confident for myself. And when I face the world, I'm going to face the world as I am lovable. And I it is possible for me to find love. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's interesting. Um a uh, couple couple things there that you mentioned that are uh, like stood out in my brain. So you talked about making an altar to your childhood, and um, you know how when we were learning to walk, we failed many many times. Um, mm-hmm. And kids don't kids don't have that thing. Like we have to learn that we have to learn that failure is bad. We have to learn that right. um, we have to learn shame. Right. Shame is not ingrained in us. It's not something we're born with. And that's really kind of what it, what it's about. And so when when I was born, I had um, a number of birth defects and the mm-hmm. doctors told my parents, your son will never walk. And um, fortunately, um, my parents had a healthy disdain for for uh, authority figures, <laughs> as I probably do. And they were like, screw that. And um you know, looked around and found me the medical help that I needed. And, you know, um, but I didn't know I wasn't supposed to be able to walk. Now think about that with, if I were, if I were an adult and something happened and the doctor said, Oh, you're never going to walk again. I don't care what you do. Um, I might take that on. I might, you know, I might believe that. And whether you, whether you believe in the woo aspect of manifestation or not, um, life becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy in the way that I'm going to behave according to my beliefs. Now, I, like you, I believe 
we're manifesting everything. And so, for example, um, yeah, you know, if I, when I'm listening to music, some sound waves are coming into my ear canals and my eardrums are creating electrical impulses that go back to, into my brain. But my consciousness is assembling a concert or, you know, a, an orchestra or a band or a singer or what have you. So, yeah, there's stuff going on out, out there, but I'm not, I don't know what's going on out there. I only know what's going on in here, right? And mm-hmm. that's, you know, that mm-hmm. was something that, like, for me to grasp, I was like, oh, yeah, like nothing, I'm not aware of anything outside of my consciousness by definition, right? And so um, part of me is creating all of this or co-creating all of this, whether I'm, you know, and then, of course, when you get into shamanism, you start really messing with reality quite a lot. And so you realize how, how plastic it is and how flexible it is and how we can tune ourselves to different kind of channels and how... Um, in the spirit world where there's no mass, uh, things like time and space break down just on a, you know, on a physical level. So, um, very, very cool stuff. And I really love your idea of, um, making an altar. I'm going to steal it, uh, make an altar, to your ch- make an altar to your childhood. Um, like I don't have enough altars around my house. I'm going to add one more, uh, somewhere. <laughs> well, right. And it's like, you can see the joy or if there was pain in your childhood, you could heal that through journeying yeah. or through yeah. med- meditation type stuff. So I, I think there's, or you can go back to like even further back when that pain wasn't there yet. And it all happened because, right. So this is like that whole manifestation, but also things happening in, in order where you can see after the fact how it worked. And so um, for the, my podcasting class, they asked us to look at a picture of our childhood and say something to that person, to that child. Mm-hmm. And then yesterday, somebody posted a picture, uh, uh, posted a challenge of add a picture of you as a child. And so I did that. And then I was also like, oh, you know what? I need to put that on my Facebook group for my um, followers and ask them, what would you say to yourself as a child? And what does the picture yeah. say to you? Yeah. And then I was outside and all of a sudden, right. Intuition came through and said, you need an altar for your childhood because you are so joyful and playful and you loved life and being outside. And you were so connected to yourself at that point. Mm-hmm. It, it didn't mean I didn't have pain. Right. And so sure. I have this struggles that I had with my like different things that have happened or whatever, but it was, it was just a very clear, like looking at those pictures of pure joy while I was outside too, right? Like I'm outside in almost all my pictures that I'm smiling with huge, like a huge smile on my face, like yeah. my pigtails with my blonde, like super blonde hair. And it was just like, I was so free to be who I was. And so it's very interesting as I start tapping the other piece that, as you can see, I have so many fascinations around it, but they're all connected, right? Yeah. Intuition is something that I am so fascinated with supporting because I feel like as, especially as women are trying to reach goals or manifest things, they need to tap in more. Mm-hmm. And I think, cause we're, I think we're so much out in like, oh, this is what's happening out there. Right. They don't always listen to that inner self-talk not the negative self-talk, but like yeah. that, those messages that are coming all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
the universe is talking to us constantly. Um, it will turn the volume up over time if you don't pay attention to it. Um, sometimes in ways that we don't think are pleasant, um, but are important to us for our learning. I have had many such, um, many such lessons, um, and not to be too, uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to like, uh, stereotype genders here, but, um, you know, I think most women would be considered, um, you know, very intuitive, right? Like more in touch, you know, just generally speaking, because of the way, our culture is women are more in touch with their intuition or in general, or have a better sense of their intuition. Everybody has the same intuitive ability, I think. Um, but women have a greater capacity, I think, to tap into that. Um, part of that is for a terrible reason that we live in this patriarchy where women had to develop that capacity as a survival mechanism. Um, but part of it is that there's the, you know, the, just the aspect of the divine feminine is intuitive, right? And so women, mm -hmm. you know, women or people who identify as women are just closer to that naturally. Mm -hmm. And it really is sort of about finding, finding that balance. And, um, and this is not to say that men can't, um, because men, men out there, you have to embrace, you have to embrace the divine feminine that's in you. Um, you could be the manliest man on the planet. I don't know. Um, maybe you chew railroad spikes for breakfast, um, or something. I don't know. I'm what's whatever the stereotype of the manliest man on the planet that I definitely do not fit into that category, but like Arnold um, Schwarzenegger back. Yeah. In the day. Yeah. But even Arnold Schwarzenegger, now he's got like, he's got like donkeys living in his house and like horses and stuff like in his house. He's, he's, he's embraced the feminine aspect of, of life as well, where he's become a nurturer and a lover of animals and all of these things. Um, but, but men, there's a goddess inside of you. <laughs> I hate to tell you, there's a God and a goddess inside of everyone and really, you come into your power when you're able to tap into both aspects of that. The, the mm -hmm. um, Ken Wilber calls it eros and agape, which are two different words for love, but he uses them as these um, these masculine and feminine divine impulses, not the distorted way that we represent gender, you know, with toxic masculinity or or, or that sort of thing. But the the divine aspect, which is Toxic masculinity is really immature. It's really about um, boy psychology, and um, and uh, that is not manly. When I see that, I'm like, Ugh, yuck. Um, yeah, just gross. But um, something I want to circle back with you on because this has come up as a pretty big. It, it's one of the main reasons um, clients contact me for healing sessions, um, and it's something that you've mentioned a couple of times. And it's about this sense of disconnection. Mm -hmm. um, and this has come up really quite a lot recently. And I think in part because of the pandemic and we went through periods of lockdown and even now people are still socially distancing and, you know, there's a lot of, um, you know, between people who are vaccinated and unvaccinated, there's a lot of stress. There's a lot of uh, divisiveness, particularly in the United States you know, political stuff and people are picking sides on, on things where they really don't need to be picking sides on. Um, but it's just the way of the world. But yeah, I mean, people are really disconnected, um, mm -hmm. you know, and, and they frequently don't even know from what, right? They're just, I just feel disconnected. Mm 
Um, yes. And so I love that you I love that you brought that up, and I love that that's something that you specifically work on. Yep, and it's it's actually the whole basis of write my podcast and mm-hmm. and and really. So when I first started working, I was working on like this whole idea of like every woman wants to like stereotypical lose weight. Right. And that just felt not, it didn't, it didn't fit for me. It felt like a negative way to kind of go at something. And as I started to pull apart, what people were really dealing with was a disconnection from themselves. Mm-hmm. So there's no way they could be connected with the world around them right? because they were not connected with really what was happening within their own system and who they were to be able to even think about connecting with their friends, their family, their coworkers and the bigger world. Right. And so as I've been kind of working with clients and really pulling out, what does that look like? It's a very like holistic piece, right? Mm -hmm. You can't just say, Oh, I'm going to meditate every day. And that's going to make you connected to yourself. Right. And so we dive into a lot about like, you have to be connected nutritionally You need to be connected with your physical body in whatever way that looks like, even going down to like whether you're exercising or you're intimate with a partner, all of which is right. That's emotional and And physical. physical. And like really diving into, okay, how are you feeling about your connection to your job? What is that bringing home every day when you come home at the end of the day? Mm -hmm. Or what is that connection you have? Like, what are you telling yourself as you're going through these different aspects of your life. And typically if you heal that connection, you're going to have wellness overall. And that weight that you want to lose is going to come off. Right. Or those, right. Because there's those things of like, what is, is the earth really feeding you? And as we've talked about in the past, right. So my, my love is nature. Mm-hmm. It will always be, I have a poster behind me with a woman walking into the mountains and it says, and she lived happily ever after. Right. As she's walking into the mountains with a tree over her head, I have another poster over there that says, and into the forest I go to lose my mind and to find my soul. So really when I think about what has healed me and connected me more than anything is my connection to nature. And that means food, the food that we eat. Mm -hmm. Am I getting the food from somewhere that I know where it's sourced? Is it coming in a package? It doesn't mean I'm always perfect. Let's be honest. Yeah. I have treats. I have things, but I'm also looking at like, am I getting outside every day? Am I taking Mm -hmm. time to be barefoot? Am I taking time when I'm outside to just be not racing to get to the summit, which I used to do. Now I'm like, oh, cool tree. Let me go give it a hug or let me go talk to it and say thank Mm -hmm. you for letting me be here. Um, And really being super connected to where we came from. Yes, yes, our source. Um, And we are... We, we might feel disconnected from nature, but we are nature. We're, we're, right. we're animals. We, you know, we have to, you know, our food might be produced in factories, but it came from animals or plants and, mm-hmm. or we hope, oh gosh, yeah, there's probably food out there that didn't. But, um, um, you know, if, if you're eating right, your food came from animals or plants and we're, we're intimately connected. We are a part of it. We're not any different. We have, you know, we live in houses and we have uh, the internet and electronics and all of these things. But, um, uh, 
you know, we're still as much a part of nature. And I love, um, I love that you mentioned spending time barefoot. Um, I, when the, when it's warm enough, I always, um, walk out to the mailbox and bare feet. And because I live under a ton of oak trees, um, I have to be very careful where I step. And so, I have to take it slow and I have to feel the ground under my feet so I'm not, you know, stomping on an acorn and and hurting my foot, you know, but that connection to the earth is so important, um, so important. Uh, Can I share a story? Yeah, absolutely. So last year when I was going through the Mindful Outdoor Experience training that I was going through, we had a... um, a job that we had to do. I'm going to say quotes and job because mm-hmm. really, if this was as I get into this, if this is my job, it will be amazing. Well, it will be. Um, I'm putting it out there. That's going to be amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we were. We had this kind of assignment to go and spend the day on the land. Mm-hmm. And so we had six hours before we were going to come together for council at the end of the day. And so I went to this space that I found not too long ago that I just truly love it's a preserved area called castle of the clouds or castle in the clouds and i just spent six hours maybe getting two miles maybe th- no mm-hmm. I'd probably about two two and a half miles right because we were doing it very mindfully we take t- i would take time where i would sit and do a sit spot i would do journaling and for part for probably about half of it this was in last november um, I decided to go barefoot. So pretty mm-hmm. cold out, but I was just like, okay, let's see if I can, what this looks like. I can always put my shoes back on. I want to feel more grounded. And as I was going, I was like, oh, this is so cool. This feels so nice. And then at some point, as I was coming back down the hill, my feet started to hurt. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, do I put my shoes on? My feet are so cold. And oh, where am I stepping? I started focusing more on my stepping. I started focusing on so much that was my physical body. And I was at, so I slowed down a minute. And I was just like, what do I need to know? What am I trying to like, do I need to put my shoes back on? And internally I hear stop focusing on your feet and look up mm-hmm. because I was looking at every single thing I was step- going for. Once I looked up, I saw an amazing bird up in the tree as well, um, which helped me remind myself to look up. But once I looked up and started walking, my feet stopped hurting. Yeah. And, uh, so that I quickly journaled what that meant. And like, but during that time I had so many messages that came in like that. And it was just like over and over and over again, they were coming. And so it reminded me of just like, I need, I need to look up in that moment, but mm-hmm. I also need to be looking up and looking for messages and signs or signals coming at me right throughout my day. Yeah. And when you plug in, um, there's so much, there's so much wisdom out there. Um, something, uh, related to that, that you mentioned before, um, you talked to talking about people who were, you know, when talking about this disconnection and and reconnection thing. And, you know, uh, I was one of these people, um, and you mentioned people say, well, I meditate every day. Um, and I was one of those people and I was going through a, uh, a crisis and I'm like, oh, I'm just going to meditate more. Um, and meditation's fantastic and I, and I highly recommend it and it has its purposes. 
Um, but like anything, you can use it to completely unplug and become disconnected. And this is a form of spiritual bypassing where we're not dealing with being connected. We're not dealing with this. We're like, I'm just going to like clear my mind, which is a good thing to do. But to do it in lieu of uh, plugging in and becoming really connected. And one of the things I love about the path of shamanism that I'm on is that you really are expected to walk in both worlds, right? You're not just constantly journeying and going out of your body. We do work out of our body, but then we bring it back. And we always have to ground that work. And and there's a... um, I wish I could remember the podcast, but there's a woman who does a shamanic podcast and she always asks, that's great, but does it grow corn, right? Does it grow the corn? Does it like, what you're doing is fantastic. You're doing all these like cool, and, and I, I love this stuff. I do all kinds of esoteric work with, in journeying and, you know, um, get artwork from, you know, that and all kinds of stuff. Um, but at the end of the day, I have to feed my children, and right. live in the world and um, work with clients and work with students and talk to you on this podcast, which I couldn't probably do in trance, right? And, <laughs> that would um, be actually pretty fascinating to see. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I do, I do work, I do some work in trance like that. When I do divination work, I'll, I will, mm-hmm. I will work in trance, but I don't know what's going to come out of my mouth, so it's a little worrying. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> well, one of the things you said too, right? Like when you were talking about. You can't be in that state all the time because right. then you disconnect. And I also think it's like the, the direct opposite is true as well. If you do meditation in the morning and you're like, oh, I'm done with all being present because I did my meditation. Yeah. yeah. You like it, it. That's disconnected too. Of like, there's a way to be present all day and yeah. being connected by, right? Like being present is being connected. And so it's, I think, yeah, you can't be in meditation all day unless you're doing like some kind of journey or things like that where you're like, oh, what was that other? When you're like in the, like you take a weekend and you fast for the weekend. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like a, um, a vision, vision, quest. vision quest. Yeah. Right. Like that's very different where you're saying this is what I'm doing for the weekend versus like spending right. the day. I'm going to meditate all day and not talk to anybody. I'm not going to like, I'm going to be in this own world or, oh, I meditated already. So I'm done. I checked that box and now I'm going to do my next thing I have to do versus right. like being present even when you're doing the dishes and thinking, oh, how does the water feel? How does it feel when it's warm? How does it feel when it's cold? Like, what does it feel like? How grateful are you? The fact that you have water to wash your dishes. I hate washing the dishes, by the way. Yeah. So this is for me, it's something I'm working on. I'm being like, Oh, this is great. Um, but being in that state of almost like the gratitude connects you. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know if you're familiar. Are you familiar with Tom Brown? He wrote the book, the tracker and grandfather, and he wrote a series of books and he, um, as a boy, he lived next door to a Native American family, and the grandfather was um, an Apache scout and trained him in all of the ways of tracking and um, wilderness survival and all of these things. And gosh, about, I don't know, many millions of years ago, I went and did a course with Tom Brown. I went and I went and um, 
studied, did a wilderness survival and tracking course with him. And it was fascinating. And we did spiritual work and we did a sweat lodge at the end. And it was really, um, it was fantastic. It was just a great week. It was like 114 all week and we were intense, (laughs) but, um, you've just forgot about it because we were like, you were so just tuned in at that time, but he talks about, and he refers to the, um, the the grandfather that it was his friend's grandfather who was the um, Apache scout he called him grandfather out of respect and um, he talked about he had walked from somewhere like maybe a few hundred miles over a few days and come back and the first thing he did was you know walk back onto the land and there was a stream running behind the house and he just scooped the water up in his hands and held it and was praying to it and tears were coming down his eyes. And like that touched me. Like, like when, when I look at water, like just water, right? Like how amazing is water? It's this like clear substance that gives us life that dissolves almost anything that is soft and is soft, but can cut through stone over time and, um, and can form any shape and just what, you know, and I don't, I certainly don't have the insight into water that this gentleman had. Um, but what a miracle. And, and like, to be grateful for something that we see every day can be challenging. And you might have to look at it from a different perspective. But what a miracle everything is. What a miracle that we can have this conversation, right, in different right. states. What a miracle that, um, uh, you know, light comes into my retinas and forms a picture of you in my brain. Like my consciousness is doing that. Right. And I don't care how smart computers get. Um, and I have a, you know, I have a multi-decade, you know, experience in computer science. I don't care how smart they get. They will never have the subject until we, you know, just start growing brains. Um, they will never have the subjective experience of reality that we have. Yeah, they can recognize faces in a photo or what have you, but they don't have the complete experience that we have, which is emotional, which is, um, you know, on so many different, so many different levels. It's just ones and ones and zeros. Humans are not binary like that. And so they, they don't, and nor are, nor are any spirits binary like that. And I do want to point out that while we were talking a minute ago and you were talking about looking up at that giant bird, this ginormous fat squirrel climbed up on my porch rail and was like looking at me like, you know, throw some food out for me today or what? So, um, I will, I will throw some food out for him after, <laughs> after we're it's, done. it's amazing how, right? Like I think if you take the time outside and really tuning in, you start to see those things that come right. Like that squirrel, wants food. The other night I finished a meditation and I had fallen asleep during it. It was one of Joe Dispenza's mm-hmm. med- like hour long meditations that I was just laying down. I was like, you know what, let's just do this. Well, like as I fall asleep and sometimes when you're, you do fall asleep, right. The meditation can be even more powerful. And so I fell asleep. And when I, I woke up probably about five minutes before it ended and literally like on the second it ended, like everything went quiet and then there was howling, like super loud howling right mm-hmm. outside my window. And so then my puppy starts barking. So I know it hadn't been happening at all before sure. that because 
she would have picked that up because uh-huh. she's like so fascinated with noises right now. And it was just like, and it was so loud and it was like yipping and playing. It, it, it was, and there sounded like at least like 10 of them potentially. Mm-hmm. So it was a pack. And I think of, of coyotes because yeah. that's really what I could think of that would be around here. Sure. Um, but there was just something about that, that I knew there was some kind of message in there. Mm-hmm. Right. Like this idea of this happened and then there was a whole pack of coyotes. And when I went to um, unlatch the window to kind of like hear a little bit louder, they had to be super close because they heard me unlatch it and they stopped and didn't hear them again. Yeah. 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 Um, that's fantastic. I love experiences like that. Um, in, you know, in the shamanic world, we would treat something like that, particularly where there's a synchronicity in time as an omen. And we would, um, you know, we would do a journey to interpret that because it's really, and I, you know, I, I caution people from like looking up what their omens mean in a book right. or in, um, you know, online or whatever, um, because there, it's going to be really individual to you. Mm-hmm. It's going to be something that's meaningful to you and they happen in context. Um, so what is going, you know, if I were working with a client and trying to interpret an omen like that. I would say, what was going on in your life when that happened? And what um, what were you doing right before that? Well, you were doing this and this happened. So that's a synchronicity. And then I would do journey work around that to try to suss out if that had, you know, what sorts of meanings that might have for you. But um, yeah, I mean, that's a beautiful thing when things like that happen. And um, uh, nature spirits have a way of... of showing up sometimes as birds or um, coyote packs or fat squirrels or what what have you. That guy has uh, been stocking up for the winter. We have a ton of acorns right now, so they're yeah. they're eating really well, but I'll still I'll, I'll throw some stuff out for him and, and uh, I feed the chipmunks and the squirrels and um, the lots of birds and stuff here. so yep. it's one of the ways that I connect. When we talk about it in the guiding, like when I do mindful outdoor guiding, we talk about it being like the more than human world and like the squirrel people and like the coyote people and, and kind of, um, it's just, it, it fascinates me. I've always been fascinated by animals in my family. Hawks are big. Mm-hmm. When my dad passed away, I don't know if I've shared this story Mm-mm. with you or not, but when my dad passed away, I returned back to school, back to the school I was teaching at. I was a toddler teacher at the time. And it was my first day back after he had passed away. And we were going outside for I got playtime, right? Outside right. time or recess. Right. Um, and there's, I mean, when you go outside with toddlers, they're not quiet. Right. (laughs) And there were two classes of toddlers. So at least 24 kids out there, plus the infants were out there playing as well. And when I walked out the door with the kids, a hawk came and landed on the school roof Mm -hmm. and was watching us the whole time. When I called the kids to line up, we were the only class going in at that time. So when I called them to line up as we were going into the building, it flew away. Mm. And I was just like, okay, dad. Uh huh. Right. Thank you. Thank right. you for saying you're still here. Like, yeah. And it was just, and ever since then, hawks, bird, like you said, birds are huge in my family. Yeah. Um, my grandmother loved birds. My mom loves birds. My uncle likes birds. Like, and so 
whenever I see a hawk, it always reminds me of my dad. Like that's kind of, Mm -hmm. or a deer, right? Like, and I do talk to my dad a lot. Like when I'm trying to get through things, like when I was running the marathon and doing that training and I was going through longer runs, I'd be like, okay, dad, come alongside me, get me through this. Um, And it's a nice way to kind of just call in the spirits and call in everything around you to kind of say like, okay, right now I'm asking for a little bit of support and push. Right. Um, and it it works for me. <laughs> and our, our ancestors want to support us, even if, um, you know, I might not have the, had the best relationship with some of my ancestors and for a really long time um, might have rejected some of them. But, um, you know, we're all the product of who, who knows how many generations of human beings, you know, 20,000 generations of human beings or more. Um, and so there is strength there. Um, and everybody has, everybody has somebody in their, you know, some people or someone in their family tree who was crummy in their lifetime. Um, and so, yeah, if you, you know, if you do the ancestry.com thing or whatever, you might find that some of your ancestors did some things that you wouldn't find to be okay. Um, but what happens when people pass away is the egoic stuff gets stripped away, um, the trauma gets stripped away, um, you know, that sort of thing. And, and so we can heal that. We can heal ancestral wounds, um, but we can also draw a tremendous amount of strength. If you think what had to happen, you know, I think about, so my grandmother, still alive, 105 years old, was born in 1916 in Bath, Maine, no electricity, running water, or heat, other than, you know, a pot-bellied stove or whatever it was, a stove that they cooked on and heated their house with and whatever. Um, you know, and I think about surviving that, let alone our ancestors that didn't have houses or whatever, the strength, the intelligence, mm-hmm. the wisdom that they must have had, the ability to work cooperatively. We would not have survived as a species without um, cooperative hunting, for example, or cooperative um, planting, for example, we couldn't. Um, it is the thing, you know. It is the thing that um, uh, you know. Some lots of primates have this, but you know, we we have it. And if we didn't have it, we didn't have these connections back to our ancestors, um, and they didn't have these strengths and these ability to pull together and work and be connected with with nature and with, you know, the world, they wouldn't have fed their sel- themselves and they would have died out or they wouldn't have had shelter and they would have died out or right. what have you. And so I think about it that way and we can draw a tremendous amount of strength from our, from our ancestors, which includes our parents, whether they're, you know, still with us or not. And our grandparents again, and all the way on back, all the way back for, um, you know, many, many thousands of generations um, although I'm I'm from I'm from Maine, so I frequently joke that my family tree looks like a wreath. Um, <laughs> somebody I um, I do a morning uh, I do a bit not not a bit that's not a good word for it. I do a radio segment once a week here in Maine where um, callers you know people call in and I do dream interpretation for them. And very recently, um, a man called in and. You know, I just get their first name. Oh, this is Sean. Hi, Sean. Tell me about your dream. And he's like, oh, you know, we have the same last name. We're, we might be related. I'm like, we're both in Maine, man. We're, we're, you know, I would assume whether or not we had the same last name, we're cousins somewhere. 
It's right. not, it's not that big a state. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny how, right? Like you have to be connected somehow, mm-hmm. no matter what, right? Yeah. If you go back far enough, I, I reached out to recently, I went to where my dad's family is from in Vermont and I was exploring kind of the cemeteries I have mm-hmm. a thing for cemeteries. They're just fun yeah, to walk around. But yeah. but when you get to see like, okay, here's where um, one of your ancestors was buried, right? And I started to see that there was a plaque for somebody in the same area connected um, for one of another Webster, right? And mm-hmm. so I was like, oh, I wonder if we're related because that person hadn't died yet, right? So like it was like a plaque saying where they're going to be rested. Right, right. So I actually contacted him and I was like, we might be related. And so as we went back and forth, there wasn't a clear connection, but we think we started to find a little bit of a connection. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, I was really fascinated. It was just interesting. He's a lot older, so I'm trying to tap into people that maybe – because we have a super small family. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's always nice to see, is there maybe some other people out there that you're connected with in ways um, that you don't even know? And yeah, yeah in Maine, you're probably... <laughs> well, my, you know, my grandfather was one of nine kids. So I have many, many, many second, third, fourth cousins, um, sec, you know, great aunts and uncles and all of that sort of thing. And there's... Uh, you know, there's fascinating stuff there. And some of their, you know, um, going back and doing, you know, some ancestral research, there there are families with, you know, 13 kids, 14 kids. So there's, you know, think about how many, like, how many people I'm related to just in this area alone is, uh, and, and, you know, we've been here since, um, you know, that side of my family has been in Maine since the 1600s. So, um, you know, close to 400 years and, uh, that's a lot of generations. And, um, uh, so there's a lot of people that I'm related to, not, not all with the same last name, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of Moors out there that are, that are probably related to me. And I found, I have found cousins on ancestry and stuff that I didn't know about, one one kid I found out kid he's my age he's actually older than I am but I think of him as a kid because I played with this guy when I was young between the age of like five and ten and then he moved away moved out of state and just found out that we're cousins like crazy through one of these I can't remember if it was ancestry or 23 and me or whatever but came up as a relative I'm like I haven't talked to that guy in you know, almost 40 years, like that's crazy. So, um, so yeah, yeah, it's, we're, we're all connected. And that's where it comes into like, what's the, what, why was, why was it that you're supposed to play with them as a child? And now you're like hearing Mm -hmm. about them again. Right. And are you supposed to reconnect? And I'm finding that a lot. And part of that's helping with social media, right? So social media has its ups and downs of what, what is great for, but one of the things is really connecting people that you might have lost touch with. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it, trying to dive into that more of how can you make those connections more real? Uh, I actually reached out to, so one of the times I was feeling like that failure piece around the kids, when I had them, I reached out to a friend of mine and said, okay, your social media looks like everything's perfect. 
Just yeah. let me know. Uh-huh. Is everything perfect with your kids? And she's like, oh, no, no, no. We, you don't see like a minute before that they were yeah. screaming at each other and fighting. And, yeah. and so, right, those things around like what is reality and what is what is people. And I think that's another reason why people might be feeling even more disconnected with themselves and the world is that there's this idea of what is perfect and there's no way right. to be perfect. Right. So social media, yeah, I mean, I agree. Like I have reconnected with lots of people I would not have been able to reconnect with. Otherwise, great friends from the past that, you know, we've all moved around and done different things. And, um, but yeah, I mean, so social media is our people's highlight reels, right? Um, I don't post stuff about my kids when I've had issues with them. Um, you know, but like when I'm proud of them, I'm going to post a photo of that. But I, you know, um, and I, and I've had clients, you know, they're like, oh, well, I got to do this. I got to do this. Cause I see, you know, and I remember I worked, uh, you know, I do coaching as well. And I worked with this woman over a couple of years actually. And, um, uh, she was really upset that she was single and couldn't find somebody. And um, I'm like, well, you know, what, what's the rush? And tell me more about this. She's like, well, I'm just, you know, I'm online and all of these people are in these fantastic relationships. And I'm like, are they though? Are they? Do you know for sure that they're all happy? Do you know that they're all healthy relationships? Do you know that um, the re- relationship's not, you know, and, and pro- hopefully some of them are, but you have no way of knowing, and um, I don't know who. There's a there's a quote, and I wish I wish I knew who said it, but um, I'll, I'll look it up maybe. But comparison is the death of joy, mm. right? When Love you start that. looking at oh, what's this person doing? And I fall into that trap. I fall yeah. into that trap. I'm like ah, oh. you know. And I'm trying to get you know. I'm trying to get uh, you know. I've got this podcast, and I have an app that just came out, and I've got a YouTube channel, and I've got like I'm doing all this stuff. And I'm like, why, you know, I'm, I'm working on a, I'm working on a book and I'm like, why hasn't the shift network called me to do the summit on shamanism? Haven't they heard of me? I see all these people. What do they do? You know? And I, I'm like, oh, I got to stop that. That's just crazy. I'm on my path and I'm going to do what I'm doing and I'm going to be successful in the way that the universe wants me to be successful. But, um, and I got to stop beating myself up because I'm, you know, these, the, when I see these people who've been doing this for, you know, some of them longer than I've been alive. Okay. Maybe they have, maybe, maybe they've been, you know, have a right to some, uh, more perks than I, you know, than I have at this point. I'm working hard, but, um, you know, I'm also trying to work smart and not, um, but yeah, I mean, social media can connect us and it can also disconnect us. And it has, unfortunately, some of the stuff particularly that's going on with Facebook, um, you know, they have been purposefully stirring up divisiveness with some of their, their algorithmic stuff. And they know that they're doing it. And I think that that's really unfortunate um, that, that's been, that that's been going on. And I have, I've lost friends um, on social media I think probably because I mean sometimes like somebody show turns up turns out to be very racist and I'm like um we might have been friends in high school but uh I cannot have that in my life that's not going to work out I have 
mixed mm-hmm. race children and there can be no part of racism in my life. Um, you know, so that's, that's something. And then I did, I looked up an old friend from junior high when I moved back to Maine, I lived in Boston for, for 20 years. And, um, when I moved back, I looked up an old friend from junior high and found him on the sex offender registry. And that was clearly not, you know, a friendship that I need to rekindle. So, uh, there's, you know, there's a little bit to be said for that, but, mm-hmm. um, I, uh, you know, like to use tools to connect and I hope that, uh, I'm, I'm trying to be more peaceful about the way I communicate with people and, um, you know, less divisive. It's hard. I've, I'm, I'm an opinionated person. Um, you know, well, right. It, it's why we do what we do, right? We want to yeah. get the, the, we want to get the message out to everybody. And at the same time, we're going to lose people potentially that might have been, Oh, we like your message, but Oh, we don't like that message. And it's, and that's okay. And I'm the mm-hmm. same way. If, if, if I see that you are racist, if I see that there's some hatred towards a certain group of people, any of those kind of things, it's like, that's not okay with me. Mm-hmm. And I'm okay to lose those people. But at the same time, when, when you see things happening on social media, you're like, Oh, I was unfriended. I wonder why. Right. And so you go into your inner talk of like, why did they unfriend me? What did what happened? And Oh, did I say something incorrect? And then going back to like, wait, what is my message? Who am I? Who do I want to be? I obviously wasn't the right person for that person. The same reason I unfriended that other person because they were racist and like knowing obviously very different reasons, but knowing that you can't be there for everybody. And sometimes social media, because you watch all these people with so many people who have so many followers and, and then you go and you realize that they bought their followers or yeah, those yeah. kind of things. And it's just, you just have to be like, okay, I'm going to center myself. Who am I? Where am I going? Right. Yes. Like somebody was saying the other day, I was listening to this uh, seminar and she was talking and she's really well known for just being an amazing speaker and really just empowering people. And she said, yeah, somebody asked me if I wanted to be on Oprah. And she goes, who made Oprah to be the person that you have to be on mm-hmm. that show with, mm-hmm. right? Oprah is just a person. Right. right. Why do I have to strive to be on Oprah? Now, I would love to be on Oprah, is sure. what, she, what she said. But she's like, but that's not what I'm striving for. I'm striving for getting my message out and connecting. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it is like, yeah, it's, you know, Oprah, as lovely and wonderful as she is, um, you know, talking about not her as a person, but her as the entity of the show and the business and all of that. Um, it's a tool to get the message across, but why has that be, yeah, for, for real, why has that become the arbiter of how we measure success and can't we measure success all in our own, each individual way. And it's hard because there's pressure. There's a lot of cultural stuff about what success looks like. Is it financial? Is it, I have so many followers. I've seen the point of like people buying their followers. I've seen like brand new Instagram accounts with 60,000 followers. I'm like, okay, (laughs) (laughs) you're not a famous person. So it wasn't, it wasn't like Oprah started an Instagram account and got a million followers that I could understand. This is just some random person that all of a sudden like pops up with 
60,000 followers. And um, is that number a measure of success? And are you really getting a message to those people because you paid them to, you know, or however it works? I'm not exactly sure. I, I know that I've seen stuff where you can pay for a certain number of followers. They can't, they're either not real or whatever, but they're not interested in what you have to say. Right. They're not your ideal client right. like, or your like the person you're right. wanting to reach. Right. And I'd love to be on Oprah, but I don't know that Oprah's <laughs> audience would care about what I have to say. You know, um, you know, I would I, I never pass up an opportunity to speak to anybody. But um, but, you know, would that be successful for me? you know, or whatever. So just a brief, brief, funny story. Um, so I used to live in Boston and a really good friend of mine worked at Harvard university and she would every morning stop into this, um, cafe and get breakfast. Same place. It was a very popular local place. Um, it turns out that Ben Affleck used to like to go there when he lived in Boston and, Oprah did a special where she went back to uh, Boston with Ben Affleck and he took her around and brought her into this cafe. Well, for about six months after that, my friend could not stop in and get breakfast there because there were lines out the door and everybody wanted to order what Ben Affleck ordered, which was something odd that, you know, off the menu or something. And um, these, these poor not poor, but like the, it was two brothers that ran this cafe. They like within two days after that episode aired, they ran out of food and one of them was getting married and they were like, we didn't know how to man. Like we didn't know how to deal with this. Like it was overwhelming. And again, like, yeah, it was this huge boost for their business for six months or however long it was. But are those people going to become the lifelong client or customer like my friend is who goes there every day to get breakfast day in and day out for years to get breakfast. Um, so a great, yeah. Yeah. What a great story because they also could have potentially lost their ideal people. Yeah. Yeah. Well they lost, you know, I mean, she went back eventually and this is the only reason I know this story is because she talked to the, she knows the guys who own it and they're like, they were like just dazed. They're like, Oh my gosh, Oprah. I don't know. Um, but they didn't, you know, and they, I, I don't know if they knew they were coming in or not, but they were, they definitely were not prepared for what happened. And I know like similar things where I know, um, people, uh, got a product, the people who were manufacturing a product, they got it listed on QVC and they couldn't keep up with the demand. They couldn't produce it quickly enough for the sales for QVC. So QVC dropped them. So that was it. They're done. They can't go on QVC anymore. So, yeah, there's this thing about like instant success and then instant fizzle, right? And the the, uh, the effect that that can have on people where when you're reaching and connecting with the right, the right people, the people, and, and whatever you do, if you do it well, there are people out there that want, want to, want to connect with you and receive the benefits of that. Um, mm-hmm. And, For you sure. know, you and I are both people who have our hearts in the right place. We're both really into helping other people and, um, we can't help everybody. We can't. There are people who would never accept the way that I help people. And that's fine. That's not my, those aren't my people, but I hope, you know, I hope they find what they need in another way, but, um, that's fine. You know, it's cool. I can't, you know, it almost sounds like a huge, like lesson right there for the person who is the, like the cafe owner 
and then like the QVC. And then I think of people that like win the lottery, right. And mm-hmm. then they lose it instantly. And I always right. think about kind of what's that lesson overall of if you're wishing or manifesting for something more greater than what you're supposed to get, it's almost like some people might get that and then have to be taught the lesson. Yeah. Of, you got to slow it down a little bit or mm-hmm. um, seeing what, where you are and what's best for you, your business, the people around you. Yeah. Yeah. Not that I wouldn't want to win the lottery. Let me tell you. <laughs> I think I wouldn't turn that down either. Well, we have, I'm looking at the clock. I, we oh have goodness, been talking for a very long time and I know that you have uh, something to get to um, and very shortly and I don't want to, I, I want to respect your time, but it has been, you know, again, like when I came on your podcast, we just could talk forever and never run out of things to talk about. So what I'm going to propose is that uh, we should probably in the future do each other's podcasts again, because we've clearly have more stuff to talk about. And I, I hope Definitely. that I hope that 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 works for you. This has been just a fantastic and fascinating conversation. And I want to thank you for coming on. But also how um before I forget, uh, how it, it, you know, so people are interested in what you do. How do they find you? How do they get in touch with you? Sure. Yeah. And it's been an amazing pleasure as you, yeah. as we've talked about in the past, like time flies when we were having yeah. a conversation, I would love to kind of keep this partnership going. Yeah, sure. Um, and so they can find me. I have a website, heatherwebsterwellness.com. You can find me on Instagram at Heather Webster wellness. Mm-hmm. Um, you can also find my Facebook group at Heather Webster wellness. Um, and, but you can find all of that. If you go to Instagram, I have a link tree link in there where a lot of the stuff is listed. And and I'll put links up on the show notes. So, um, depending upon how you listen to this, it, you know, it might not show up in iTunes or something, but, um, you can go into the show notes and there will be, there will be at least the URL and stuff for each of these things. So, um, find it there and definitely, uh, definitely check Heather out. Um, she's got a lot of really, really very interesting and cool stuff going on that, that, uh, that I jive with. And, um, just once again, thank you for, thanks for coming on. Thank you. All right. So you're going to hear some music and then, then the outro and then we'll, been listening to speaking spirit with your host john moore for more info or to contact john go to mainshaman.com that's m-a-i-n-e-s-h-a-m-a-n.com